you can invest in a REIT. And essentially it's a company, it, it, it's the way the company's taxed. So there's nothing necessarily special about the company other than it specializes in real estate. And that doesn't mean every single REIT invests in a home that you would live in. Some do industrial, some do purely commercial, some do purely retail, some specialize super specifically like data centers or government contract locations or blah, 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 blah. You could probably find a REIT for any type of real estate you could think of. Um, and so what, if you want to get into real estate investing and you don't really know a whole lot about real estate, but you kind of know a little bit about stocks, that might be a phenomenal approach for you, especially because their dividends are super nice. So, you know, you get that, you know, the 90% for REIT, which isn't a whole, you know, it's not a hard and fast true for as far as dividends go, but uh, REITs are a really great way to invest in the real estate market in a completely passive manner. Um, so that way you don't have to put up cash into a syndication or give it, give cash to someone to actually go buy a physical property. You're investing in a company that does it for you essentially. So you're getting those uh, residual incomes from it. Hey, how's it going? This is Dan Wynn and Mike Glassby. And this is the Military Cash Flow Podcast, where we teach service members how to build wealth and create passive cash flow through real estate. We cover real deals, real numbers, and real lessons learned from other successful investors. Now, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening on the podcast, we need you to like, share, and subscribe. Now, let's get started creating this military cash flow. Hey, what's going on, guys? This is Dan Wynn. And Mike Glaspie. And welcome to the Military Cash Flow. All right, today we have a very special guest. His name is Jordan Bowley, and he's going to talk all about... Um, different types of real estate investment, investing, right? So we're talking about REITs here and um, investment clubs, some, some really cool, slick stuff, some um, alternate ways to, to uh, invest for those out there. Uh, it's actually more passive, I think. So Jordan, would you mind uh, telling us a little bit about yourself, what you're doing and uh, kind of where you're from? Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me guys, by the way. Uh, so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Jordan Bowley. I'm active duty army right now. I'm actually getting out this year. Um, so I started my military journey back in 2013. So not too, too long. Uh, by the time I get out, I'll have about eight years of service. Uh, started in the 82nd, spent about four years there as an infantryman, reclassed to counterintelligence. And during that reclass is really where the whole investment journey started. Um, but as far as my financial journey, that started, you know, way back when. Um, but yeah, I reclassed to counterintelligence, went to Korea, and now I'm actually back at Bragg. So, uh, you know, when people say it's the, the black hole of the military universe, they're not lying. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I'm actually from Tampa, Florida. That's where I grew up and uh, raised by a single mom. And that was really where, you know, my actual financial journey began because, you know, we grew up on, you know, very modest means, I'll, I'll say just to summarize. And so budgeting and paying off debt, all those kind of like, basic financial rules were always ingrained in, uh, in me and my brother. Um, but we didn't really realize what, like, exactly we were doing. We didn't realize that we were, you know, practicing good financial practices and, and building our own personal financial health. We just thought that that's the way life was, you know what I mean? And then as I started getting out there in the world, high school, college, stuff like that, um, I realized how rare even that mindset was which was to not hold debt and you know to pay down any debt you do take on and to have a budget and stuff like that i realized that most people just get credit cards overspend and they don't really understand exactly what they're getting into and so as i progressed through each stage of my life i started helping more and more people out realizing that financial education just like isn't really a thing in the u.s it's not in the school systems anymore they don't even teach uh, economics or anything for the most part 
And uh, yeah, so, you know, all that stuff kind of built up. And once I joined the military, I was doing the same thing, helping soldiers out with TSP, credit score even from time to time, uh, budgeting for sure. And uh, yeah, eventually it just led to the investment club. <laughs> so, so before we go too much further, there's one thing I want to highlight. Have you noticed that guys like yourself with this, you know, you had this financial background that you kind of self created, if you will. Have you noticed mm -hmm. that you know a lot more than most of like the NCOs in the finance department about the stuff? Yeah, definitely. Well, wait a minute, um, wait a minute, wait a minute. I am finance <laughs> now, and I mean, you guys can't just rip on finance like that, all right? No, <laughs> hey, no disrespect, no disrespect. No, but no, a no, lot no. of times, you know, you'll see, and, and I, I'm asking just what your, what your experience is there, but mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of times I've seen, you know, you'll go in and ask questions about the TSP, like, hey, what is the... What is the, uh, the, the, the I fund, the S fund, the G fund? Yeah. And a lot of time, times they can't articulate it. Uh, and, and for you, did you find that more, more times than not, soldiers were coming to you for advice instead of their, I guess? Their yeah, um, definitely. So I actually have, I won't tell the whole story, but I actually have a story where, uh, you know, an army financial advisor, a civilian who was holding that position, not sure what her qualifications were, but when I was stationed in Korea, and at this point, I was heavy into, you know, investing research and, and general finance as a whole. I actually asked her to leave because the advice she was giving was absolutely terrible. Um, she was giving a lot of from her perspective, which was she had a fairly large family, you had like three or four kids and her husband and they had tons of debt and just the advice she was giving to handle certain situations. I was like, no, those are not best practices. Those are things you've done. You're teaching my soldiers and my peers the wrong thing. Please leave. And so I literally had to tell her to leave. And that was someone who's supposed to be advising our military members. And it's sad. Um, and I've seen it time and time again, poor advice. Uh, and even to your point, though, probably one of the best people I've ever come in contact with, uh, as far as informing soldiers on the TSP, was only allowed to talk to soldiers when they were out processing of brag or the military. And she literally had a meeting with me and was like, I can get in trouble for having this meeting because you're not getting out. I'm just teaching you some stuff. And I was like, wow, that's insane. The most capable person I've come in contact with and we're not even supposed to be having this meeting. So it's definitely a system that could be doing better, I'll say, to put it nicely. Yo, you got you got to because now I'm curious now you got to tell a little bit about some of the advice that she was giving because um, I'm curious to know because I've, I've run into that situation so many times um, just even just with regular real estate knowledge right we have we have um, every now and again during the out processing I see um, people go through SFL tap or whatever and they have like a realtor come in and like start speaking about what they can do and you know um, mm -hmm. what they should do buy their single family home and things like that just talking about stuff that they have no idea what they're talking about don't have an investment property, don't have any kind of portfolio, don't have anything at all, mm -hmm. but they're telling everybody what to do. So can you, can you expound on that a little bit? Like what, what kind of advice was, was she? The, the bad advice or the good yeah, advice? The bad advice. Bad advice. Um, it actually wasn't even involved <clears throat> in investing. It was general finance. So she was just a pure financial advisor. I guess you can put in quotes. Uh, she was talking about credit card debt to where she was saying, Oh, it's fine to hold certain credit card debts. And it's fine to go and do these things. And she was just basically downplaying the importance of paying off debt in order to live comfortable lifestyle was kind of the overarching theme of her discussion. I don't remember specific details because I mean, at this point, that was like two and a half years ago. Um, but it, it was because this is like the height of my, you know, I was spending every waking minute that I wasn't at work learning about investing and stuff. And so it, it just infuriated me to the point where I was like, Hey, look, uh, you need to leave. Like, this is really, really bad. Um, and so, uh, I, 
I'm glad she didn't talk about investing because it probably would have been terrible advice, <laughs> but yeah, so it, you know, the, the good, you know, good person though, she was discussing investing the TSP specifically, and she was very well informed, very well qualified. Uh, it, just a night and day example, you know, so it really, you can't just trust the entire system. You really have to validate and verify what people are saying when you are getting advice. That's probably one of the biggest takeaways from both of those um, occasions. And I'm glad you said it. There was actually a situation where I was representing a soldier on purchasing a home here at Fort mm -hmm. Bragg. His chain of command told him that it, he was not allowed to use the VA in a certain way. And so I was very confused. I was like, okay, I, let me talk to him. So I spoke to him and I said, where are you getting this advice from? He said, well, I tried to research it and I couldn't find a direct yes. So therefore it can't be right. And in his defense, I understand that he was trying to protect his soldier, but you have situations like that where people are in these positions and, you know, they have so much power and influence in the military structure that they could just single-handedly destroy somebody's with the wrong advice, right? They could either mm -hmm. uh, truly hurt somebody or they can truly help somebody. So I think it's, it's important 100%. that you were able to highlight that in that situation for your soldiers and kind of bring that to life. So kudos to you. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, there was multiple occasions where I actually, I personally did finance courses. And after that, I actually redid everything she was discussing as far as credit was concerned. And I did a new class and I, I was explaining certain things. So definitely took that occasion in my own hands. But yeah. What you're saying is so right. I, I've seen it even more so is the lack of advice and the lack of oversight because i feel like finance in the military is such a taboo subject i never really understood that because we have mandatory classes on you know don't sexually do these things to people which totally understandable we should totally have that and then we have these you know <clears throat> suicide classes and all these classes that are supposed to deal with our mental health and certain things like that you know find the best out of the day what, what is that one called the um, hunt the good stuff hunt the good stuff yeah <laughs> we have all we have all that stuff and that's in my opinion that's more almost preventative or uh reactive as opposed to preventative because I don't know what you guys experienced, but in my units, every time someone was getting a divorce or going through hard times, it was almost always affected by finances. And I was like, yo, can I go talk to him about putting a budget together? So him and his wife and their brand new child, like don't stress so much. And they're like, no, you can't talk to that soldier about money. And I'm like, well, that's stupid. So we'll see him in six months whenever he's on suicide watch because he's so stressed out. And so I, I feel like finance is something we need to get more comfortable discussing for sure. Yo, bravo. <laughs> Bravo. Seriously. Yeah. And, and it's so crazy that you say that because I have these discussions with uh, with my soldiers all the time about like, hey, financial well-being. We, we talk about the same stuff and like you perfectly described uh, exactly what what uh, Mike and I have been talking about. Um, <clears throat> we talk about very often um, offline and then I also talk with my soldiers and NCOs about as well about, hey, let, let's talk about some, you know, our financial well-being and, and creating budgets and, you know, making budget seats. So, Hey, if you have any product, I know you said you, you, you've uh, taught classes. So if you have any product, um, please share it with us. We'll make sure to put it in the, uh, in the notes so that, so, so that, I got, so that some other guys can, um, can get some of this information. So. Yeah. I'm actually in the process <clears throat> of uh, putting together an entire, uh, basic financial course. So I'm not anywhere near done. It's going to be a few months in the making, but once I am done, I'd love to give it to you guys. I actually talked to Mike about it briefly. Um, Cause I actually have my financial planning degree. So that coupled with, you know, the years and years of experience of doing stuff, I'm actually putting together my own products that are hopefully user friendly slash people can use them um, with some video assistance and stuff like that. Cause I, I really do have a passion for making sure people square themselves away on the most basic of level, uh, like paying down debt and having a budget. So, <laughs> yeah. 
That's, that's definitely something that we share in common. We, we'd love to try to make sure that everybody's informed. Um, everybody needs to be informed on that base level like you're talking about. So guys, pay attention. When that comes out, we'll be sure to uh, make a post about it and, and share it as well. All right, so we're gonna go ahead and take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Hey, make sure you go leave a five-star review on the podcast and then also go check out militarycashflow.com to get access to all the products we have. We have a bunch of great stuff on the website to include um, access to the Facebook group, access to a military cash flow calculator so you can analyze your deals. We have uh, courses. We have all of our social media. We just have a bunch of stuff on there. So go check that out. And with that, here's a word from our sponsors. All right, man. So hey, let's get into some of this investment club stuff. I want to hear about this and yeah. uh, let's talk about the REITs and what we have structured and how you're able to use your uh, your uh, financial planning degree as well as um, or your financial planning certificate as well as um, everything else um, to. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I guess we should probably talk about REITs first because that's a pretty open, closed topic. Uh, the investment club we could talk about. Well, I could probably talk about it for an entire day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, let me open up my uh, list of, of stocks I track just so that way it's a little bit easier to reference a couple things. Um, so if you don't know anyone listening, what a REIT is, is a real estate investment trust. Um, they're sold on the stock exchange, New York Stock Exchange. So if you have any sort of brokerage, E-Trade, TD, Vanguard, Fidelity, literally anything, you can invest in a REIT. And essentially it's a company it's the way the company's taxed. So there's nothing necessarily special about the company other than it specializes in real estate. And that doesn't mean every single REIT invests in a home that you would live in. Some do industrial, some do purely commercial, some do purely retail, some specialize super specifically like data centers or government contract locations or blah, 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 blah. You could probably find a REIT for any type of real estate you could think of. Um, and so what, if you want to get into real estate investing and you don't really know a whole lot about real estate, but you kind of know a little bit about stocks, that might be a phenomenal approach for you, especially because their dividends are super nice. So, you know, you get that, you know, the 90% for REIT, which isn't a whole, you know, it's not a hard and fast true for as far as dividends go, but uh, REITs are a really great way to invest in the real estate market in a completely passive manner. Um, so that way you don't have to put up cash into a syndication or give it, give cash to someone to actually go buy a physical property. You're investing in a company that does it for you essentially. So you're getting those uh, residual incomes from it. Um, I, I love REITs. I invest in REITs personally. I definitely suggest them to people, uh, particularly with uh, retirement accounts. So Roth accounts are phenomenal because of the way that Roths are taxed. And I know this isn't an investing class right now, um, but since REITs do have very high dividends, a lot of people do experience a large tax on the dividends that are, given to you if you do have a taxable account. So um, if you're thinking about it and you start doing research, uh, just keep in the back of your mind that you would want to put them into a tax advantage retirement account. Um, it's, it's not a rule, but it's just a, a suggestion. So. So, so to kind of break that down, because you want to make sure we don't leave anybody, leave anybody too far behind. All right. So you're saying 90% um, paid out in dividends, and that's kind of more so the profit margin of these, of these companies, of these REITs. How's that 90% kind of played out? So 
Yeah, yeah. When you look at the way, in order to qualify as a REIT, the company has to pay out X amount. And it's a very, very, very high amount. Essentially, the company isn't retaining a lot of the profit unless they're reinvesting elsewhere. And so a lot of times you'll see REITs constantly adding shares or raising capital elsewhere, or taking on debt because they're not retaining a lot of those profits because tax-wise, they have to pay out the majority of their earnings to their investors. And But they get taxed. You know, it, it's, it's all about tax. It's what it is. And, you know, uh, people want to look into it. Uh, essentially, all people that, you know, want a, a general 101 need to know is REITs pay very nice dividends. Yep. And uh, it's a great way to invest in real estate passively. If they want to know more, they should definitely research it because there's a lot to it, uh, especially when you talk about the different kinds. So we could talk about that for a really long time and we could probably right. write a textbook on it. <laughs> and then you're saying just the Roth versus the traditional is just essentially dependent on their situation how their tax is kind of uh, involved of how that profit is taxed, whether it's pre or post uh, tax advantage. And they should probably reach out to a CPA for that. But that's what you're referring to is specifically on the Roth versus traditional, right? So no, not Roth versus traditional, both Roth and traditional are both different, two different types of retirement accounts. And so, yes, what you said is correct. What I was saying was a taxable account. So not a retirement account. Um, a lot of people don't like to invest in REITs in those accounts because they pay on the dividends that they receive annually. So every year they have to file a form because that's their taxable account. A traditional and or Roth is a retirement account. And either of those would be fine to put your REITs into because you get that tax advantage of not having to pay on those high dividends that you're receiving. So if you are going to invest in them, I would suggest to put them into your retirement account if you have both. Um, but, you know, that's that's shooter's preference at that point. Okay. All right. So just uh, REITs versus regular blue chip stocks, right? So what, what are some of the advantages of the REITs versus regular blue chips? I mean, blue chip stock, and we're talking, when I say blue chip, I'm talking about uh, Bank of America. I'm talking about Delta. I'm talking about Visa, Coca-Cola, any, any of the big names that you guys know of, right? So uh, blue chip versus REITs, what are some of the advantages and maybe even disadvantages? Um, yeah. I mean, this is definitely going to be, you really, before you start looking at advantages, disadvantages, you, someone needs to sit down and identify what their specific financial goals are when they look into investing. So I'm going to preface it with that, right? Because my advantages or disadvantages, at least from my point of view, might be a little different from someone else, right? So I'll tell you what I see as advantages and disadvantages because I'm a long-term investor. Uh, when I talk about my investments, I consider those to be things I'm not worried about for another 40 years, right? Risk, risk right. tolerance, right? A lot of it's going to boil down yeah. to your risk tolerance. Okay. 100%, yeah. So um, some advantages of REITs, uh, there's quite a few of them that pay out monthly dividends. So when you start talking about compounding and you do the math on compounding interest or compounding dividends, the more often it compounds, the greater and faster it's going to grow. Um, you really need to see a large investment to see, you know, an extreme difference, like a $1 investment with a monthly compound versus a $1 million investment compounded monthly is going to be very different, right? So some of them do have monthly dividends, which is awesome because if you have them reinvested, you know, it compounds a little bit faster. So that's cool. Once again, they do have a higher dividend. So that's really cool. Those are two huge advantages for the reason most people want to. Uh, real estate generally is seen as more stable. However, what we have seen recently with this uh, coronavirus is that REITs have actually been hit as one of the hardest sectors. Um, in fact, most of them hit harder than even oil which is insane because oil is getting a one-two punch right now between uh, that whole, you know, price. I'm not even going to talk about it, the whole price issue that they're having right now. Um, so 
you know, I, I can say that normally they're more stable, but sometimes they're not, which is exactly what we're experiencing now, um, which you can sometimes equate to their run-up because most people like to invest in them. So they, you know, they got a little overvalued. Uh, a disadvantage is that they do have to pay out the majority of their earnings to dividends. So they don't have as much organic growth as a blue chip does. So whereas Apple can pay out, they can do a 5% payout ratio, which means only 5% of their earnings is going to get paid out in dividends. <clears throat> a REIT has to do, you know, a much higher amount. And so Apple can have more organic internal growth. They can reinvest their earnings into self business growth. So there's a huge difference there as far as, <clears throat> am I investing in the high dividend or am I investing in the growth of the company? And that's where you really see the two, you know, plans or whatever diverge from each other. So it's good to do both. I would say. Two things I want to touch on just for everybody listening. This is general financial advice. All right. So do not sit there and go out and purchase all the REITs without doing your own research or um, uh, consulting with your financial advisor, your financial planner. Uh, The second thing, you brought up a really good point about the REITs because uh, you mentioned how they're specific niches, right? They could be industrial, they can be retail. And during this event where everything's going on crazy, one of the ones that I was, uh, I was actually listening to another podcast about commercial real estate, and they said one of the hardest uh, hit asset classes is student housing. Think mm-hmm. about it. All the students got put on extra long spring break, right? And so they're not going back to these, uh, to these uh, leases that they had. And in most student housing leases and most clauses, it says, hey, if there's a student uh, or if there's a college or university event or emergency pandemic or whatever, then they can back out of their lease. So now all of these student you know, leases that were in place may be cut early and there may be months of, of, of potential income gone. And then therefore, yeah. if there was a REIT that specialized in student housing, it might get hit hard. We'll see. You know, but mm-hmm. that's a perfect example of how a REIT could be stable but also could be volatile in nature as well. 100%. When you specialize, you risk both of those things. That's for sure. So um, what was the first thing you said? Financial. I'm so tired. I apologize. You said uh, financial (laughs) advice. Yeah, definitely do your own research. Um, The reason why I'm so tired is because I was up till 530 in the morning last night researching my own investment um, decisions. And so one of the things with REITs that you want to make sure that you're paying attention to is its payout ratio. It's probably one of its biggest determining factors on if you want to invest into it or not. So if uh, a payout ratio is 100%, they are paying out 100% of their earnings. At least that's the theory behind it, right? In their dividend. If it's well above that, then those are some red flags you need to watch out for. So be careful of those as the market goes down and the payout ratios go up to 500% and you're like, Oh yeah, I'm going to get a 20% yield. It's probably going to get cut. I mean, that's, it might not, but I'm just going to say it's probably going to get cut. So be careful of that. Yeah. It's crazy. You say it's such high dividend yields for, uh, for the REITs. Cause I mean, on these blue chip stocks, what they're looking like is usually what, like anywhere between one and like four or 5% of 5% on the high end, maybe on a blue chip. And you're talking about 5% is very high. Yeah. 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 I usually see like the two or 3%. Um, mm-hmm. when we're talking about dividend yields, but you're talking about REIT. So the average dividend yield for a REIT, let's say at a hundred percent payout, we're talking, you know, we're talking about 30%. Like what, what, what are we? No, 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 no. Uh, five, five to 7%. Okay. Uh, actually I would even go as far as to say four to 6% would be a solid okay. payout ratio below a hundred because what people <clears throat> need to realize is it's not. I know we're kind of getting away from the investment club here, but uh, (laughs) it's not the dividend yield when you purchase it, right? 
it's it's your yield on cost. So it's like, yeah, sure, the dividend yield when I purchase it's three percent, but your dividend yield on cost will grow over time because you paid thirty dollars for a stock, and then you know twenty years later when it's a hundred dollars a share and it still has a three percent yield, well, your yield on that thirty dollar cost could be forty, fifty, sixty percent. And so when you look at a blue chip, you're like, oh, it only has a 2% yield. Like that's not as good as a 6% REIT. Well, does that 6% REIT have a 20 year plan to stay in business like Apple does? So maybe investing in Apple is a better choice. And so it's really, you have to dive into that long-term look. What, again, what are your goals? Are you looking long-term, short-term, day trade, blue chip, blah, blah, blah. There's so many factors when we talk about stock investing. Um, and I know this isn't a stock investing podcast, so you know, I'll, I'll just keep it at that. <laughs> that's a, that's some, some excellent information. Um, yeah, I, I've never really looked too hard into REITs. I mean, when, when, I, when I look in the stock market, I'm basically purely looking at, at blue chip stuff. So uh, that's mm -hmm. interesting um, about the REITs. I've always heard great things, but I've never just, I've never really, really dove in and took the time to to learn too much about it. So that's, that's great well, information te teaching me some stuff. So that's <laughs> awesome. dude. Yeah. So the investment club, all right. I, I said it before yeah. and we said we we're going to kind of get into it. So let's talk about that a little bit. What is the investment club, yeah. right? And how did it get started? Okay. Yeah. Let's close the door on the reads and open it up on the investment club. Uh, this is a much longer hallway to walk through. All right. So, um, like I said, when I was reclassing, uh, I, I had become debt free. I had been in the 82nd. I had no debt. I was just out, you know, drinking and relaxing with my buddies every weekend. I really didn't have a focus. I was kind of on hold waiting for that reclass. When that reclass came around, I finally was like, all right, I need to start doing some stuff with my life. Um, I want to buy a house, you know, fix it up, rent it out, you know, and then do it and just keep doing it. That's going to be the plan, which is what I hear a lot of military people do, right? They move, they buy, they move, they buy, they move, they buy. Great plan. Works for a lot of people. Uh, I, I figured I'd do it myself too. I, or I found out I was going to get a PCS to Korea and I was like, well, can't buy property in Korea. So what can I do for the year that I'm there or year and a half, you know, during my AIT. And so I literally just went on the Google web, like, you know, we all do. And I just looked up different type of investing and I, you know, started with angel investing, spent a couple of days researching angel investing, you know, the prospect of that. And then, you know, I just went to stocks, learned about bonds and blah, blah, blah. Um, Cause at this time I, I would consider myself a general finance expert almost maybe on like budgeting and stuff like that when it came to those like household finances but when it came to investing i was a complete novice i didn't know anything no one in my life had ever taught me any of that stuff and so i literally just spent months on the internet learning and researching anytime i found a new thread i pulled it i pulled it as far as i could without getting a degree in it right um until finally i just came across investment clubs and um I, so it, it kind of intrigued me. I was like, okay, you know, that's kind of interesting. Well, what, what really is an investment club? It sounds like something I might want to join. Um, and then after looking into it, it's kind of hard to like grasp because it's so, it's, it's so general. Like it's not like a hard and fast thing. Um, if that makes sense. So basically the SEC and the IRS both define it as a group of family, friends, or coworkers that invest as a group. That's it. <laughs> like there's nothing else and you're just like that like it, it seems like with uh, in a in a world of rules and regulations a binder thick there would be more than two paragraphs to outline this quote-unquote business structure right and so i was super skeptical at first what'd you say 
And I was like, you think there'd be some like SEC, like, <laughs> SEC yeah, you, you think there'd be tons yeah. of guidelines. Yeah. And, and when you look on the SEC's <clears throat> website and the IRS's website, it's literally one page. It's not a hundred page document. It's literally one page. It says, essentially, you have three things you need to do to prove that you're not an investment company and that you're a small investment group. And that's it. And as long as you follow those things, you know, a financial dollar amount, member participation and stuff like that, like you're good to go. And I was like, this seems super simple. And this seems like a phenomenal way to get my family involved in investing, maybe we can start a family thing. And then I spent a few days contemplating how that would work. And then I was like, just my family, why don't I invite my friends? Like tons of my military buddies want to get into an investing. I've talked to them about it and they just don't know how. Um, let me ask them. And I just started talking to people and I realized once I started doing that, that almost every single person in the military has a desire to invest, has a desire to become financially independent and all those you know goals that you continually hear on the internet. And yet they had no idea how to approach it. And I was like, wow, I'm about to start this investment financial journey and I can take literally all of my friends along with me if I want to. I was like, why not? You know what I mean? Like it's gonna be extra work, um, you know, making everyone participate and you know, following the guidelines and doing everything legally that you're supposed to do. It probably would be easier to do it on my own, but there's a huge benefit. You're all pulling your own money. You're basically creating an entity that has a paycheck every month that you can do with what you want. And so, we just started and that was it like you literally just start there there's no rules you don't have to you don't have to form an llc you can be a sole proprietor um, as long as everyone agrees the biggest thing that you have to define is one particular leader and trust there has to be trust there um, as long as you can find people that you trust with your life which in the military we do not have a short supply of which is phenomenal um, you can get started and so you know it, it's not as simple as google it and then the next day start, you know, I, like I said, I spent months of research on this to make sure everything would be legally set up correctly and that we would do things the right way. But um, relatively speaking, it, it was it was pretty simple. You, this got this got my blood pumping now. So you mean yeah. to tell me that, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, you, you're feeling it too, right, Dan? Like yeah. you, you can sit back, study this for a few months, just collectively come <clears throat> together with a group of people and start investing something that everybody feels like their biggest hurdle is, is financing or funding. But if you can pull mm -hmm. 10, 15, 20 people together, you know, $3,000 a piece, that goes a long way, especially yep. on some of the smaller investment deals. So I, I, I want to go back on a few things. You said you need three things to, to set up an investment club. What were those three items? So you, like I said, it, and it will change. It has changed, okay. in fact, over the last few years, right? And so the biggest things that you need to do are everyone has to participate in some form or fashion, right? And so they have to actively vote on the investment decisions. They don't have to swing a hammer to remodel or something, but they have to decide what color the wall is going to be, if that makes sense, right? And so even if they don't physically interact in certain things, they have to play an active role in the decision-making process. So uh, what's great about investment clubs is that there's different types. So you can do just real estate, you can do just stocks, you can do both, you can do bond, you can literally do any type of investment vehicle because you're operating either as an LLC or as a sole proprietorship, basically a single entity. Um, and so you can still do all those things, which is super unique. Uh, but everyone has to participate and that is a hard and fast rule. You can't have passive uh, or inactive individuals because if you do, 
at that point you're selling securities and you don't have uh, the correct qualifications. You have to, you know, go through the SEC, you have to get certified and all that other stuff. Right. Um, and so that's a really big thing. Yeah. Well, even beyond that, you're, you're selling securities. So it's, it's a little bit more than just syndicating. You're literally, it's a big no, no. Um, <laughs> so there's that, um, you have a member cap, so you can't have more than a hundred members. And, uh, when I first started, there was a financial cap. Um, but uh, I have yet to be able to find that again recently. So I'm assuming that went away for some reason. When, uh, when I first started, it was at a million dollars. Now that million dollars could, is just for one person or for the entire portfolio, for the entire entity? So when I first started, what I was tracking was the entire portfolio. Okay. Um, but again, they, they didn't have a lot of guidance on it. It literally said a million dollars, a hundred members, and everyone has to be active. And then again, you can't sell securities, blah, 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 blah. And that was it. And then I've been, you know, I relooked at, at the rules you know, every, you know, so often I, I look on the websites, IRS website and stuff just to make sure nothing gets added. Um, and now I cannot find a financial cap anymore. So I think that went away. Or maybe I was delusional when I was first researching it and saw it. And then, it could definitely be. I, let, let, to be honest, I wasn't worried about a million dollar cap when I first started. I just wanted yeah. to make sure we had more than five grand in our, our bank account when we first started. <laughs> So, so, all right. So you had at the time you had the financial cap of a million dollars. Everyone has to participate. That's hard and fast. Everybody has to vote. They have to do something. Yes. And then yes. you have a I member. Cannot. Yes. Let me ask you this. What can you not do in an investment group besides selling securities? What can mm. you not do? Is there anything that's hard and fast that says, even though you guys are together, you cannot mm. do this. You cannot purchase a certain asset or anything like that. As far as I'm tracking, no. I mean, it, like I said, if an LLC can do it, you can do it. Okay. So, so I'm not me, tracking anything. To me, that sounds like Airbnb arbitrage. That sounds like multifamily, condos, vacation rentals. Yep. Hotels. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Hey, make sure you go leave a five-star review on the podcast and then also go check out militarycashflow.com to get access to all the products we have. We have a bunch of great stuff on the website to include um, access to the Facebook group, access to a military cash flow calculator so you can analyze your deals. We have uh, courses, we have all of our social media. We just have a bunch of stuff on there. So go check that out. And with that, Here's a word from our sponsors. So obviously you can't just start out and just do it uh, tomorrow. You know, you need to actually uh, research it, but a group of you guys can come together and within, you know, two, three months, start investing. Now let me ask you this yeah. though. What is the difference? What is the difference between your investment group and the standard syndication that we all hear about? Sure. Uh, so I've never done a syndication myself. And so I have a loose understanding. You guys probably have a better understanding of it, but for my understanding, a syndication is usually one deal. Correct. Yes, it can be, it can be either a fund or it can mm -hmm. be tied to a specific property, but typically it's tied okay. to a specific property. Yeah. And so that's what I was tracking. It's normally tied to one, one deal is the way I normally explain it to people. It's everyone's coming together on one deal. You know, it's so long, blah, blah, blah. Uh, what's, what's great about the investment club is, and not, well, the way I like to describe it is like, we're an investment family. Uh, we're in it for the long haul. Um, 
it, it's not, Oh, Hey, we're going to go do this deal. You're going to make 3%, blah, blah, blah. Like I don't tell members that they're going to make a percentage on any deal. I do the analysis of the deal and what it's going to look like for the portfolio. Because as members, I don't own one share of Apple. I own X percentage of all the shares of everything and all the real estate and everything like that. So it's, it's broken down a little differently. Some people kind of mix that up. They're like, Oh, Hey, here's my initial contribution of a thousand dollars. Let me know what you're going to invest in. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Okay. That grand will probably put in, in some, uh, in some stocks. They're like, okay, which stocks am I, am I buying? And it's like, no, you have to get past that. You're no longer an individual. You are now a collective. And so, um, that's one of the coolest things I think is that you're just, you're, you are now a part of the group and you're a part of the family and everything we achieve from here on now is based on our own efforts and our own capital. So what happens, what, what happens with the payouts and like, um, as people want to, cause at some point somebody's going to be like, maybe hit a financial situation. Like now, maybe, maybe somebody in the group that, you know, they just got cut out of a job because of the coronavirus, right? So what happens when they need capital? I, I know, I'm sure you have, um, some kind of legal, legal, uh, <clears throat> legal um document basically that kind of outlines that stuff but what's the general what's the general rule there and what's the general rule with yeah. payouts as well yeah so um like i said you can probably do research and get this started in, in a day or two if you really wanted to just start instantly right because there's not a lot to it but when you want to take those two or three months and set up i would highly suggest setting up an llc and what we know when you have an llc you have an operating agreement right that operating agreement is absolutely crucial because as everyone says, you don't do business with family, it's not a good idea, right? And so when you're starting a business to make it more of a family, you even add a harder recipe of emotions and people having their own individual situations. And so that operating agreement will just outline every single question you're possibly asking. And so when I first started it, I spent days, literal days worth of my life compiling like five or six operating agreements I found from different investment clubs and I found it online and I found from, you know, example from, you know, legal websites and stuff like that. And uh, I actually have a criminology degree. So I, you know, legal speak isn't something that's super foreign to me. So I was able to piece together a pretty, you know, thorough operating agreement. At first it was like 30 pages. I've since cut it down to like 12. Um, but that operating agreement really handled every issue that you're talking about. We spelled out everything. Um, in fact, one of the biggest things I would suggest to people when you're doing anything, but particularly business is to search what issues people have had that they wish they had, you know, pre-planned for. And so I kind of structured the operating agreement around that, which is leads back to exactly what you asked me payouts. They were like, we didn't think anyone was going to leave. And so we didn't really put that into the operating agreement. So when it came time for someone to leave, we gave them their money and we realized, oh crap, we didn't tax him on $10,000 of canes and now we're left with that bill. And so <clears throat> what I did was um, in our operating agreement, or at least, you know, the way we do things is we have up to six months to give someone back their money once they tell us they need it back. And so we have monthly valuations and stuff. So if someone's like, Hey, Jordan, um, I need my contributions back. I need my percentage of ownership back. You know, I'm getting out of the army. I didn't plan for it. I need the money to transition, which has happened, right? So it's a very real example. So cool, man. Uh, sorry to see you have to go. Hopefully, you know, you can transition and in a couple of years. You know, once you're stable, you can come back. Um, 
And so normally that happens a little bit sooner than six months, but you have to calculate how much was their capital gains, how much is the club going to get taxed based on that. You have to pull that out and you have to hold it. If we had to sell stuff, any expenses that went with that, this, you know, that happened when commissions were still a thing and brokerage accounts. So, Hey, I had to sell three stocks to get you your money back. I mean, that's 15 bucks. Like, I'm sorry, we're not eating that. Like you're going to eat that because this is you. And so you have to be heartless essentially, even though it's a very emotional process to pull out that money and, pat you you know give your friend their money back and send them on their way so um operating agreement will solve every issue you're talking about and then having every single step of that clearly outlined with percentages and everything like that because then that way there's no debate it's like if they're like wait what is this you're like look man like I sent you the operating agreement every single month. If you overlook that, or if you weren't paying attention to it, man, like, I'm sorry, like, but this is just the way things are because it can get heated if that's not in place. But um, luckily I haven't had too many issues with that stuff. Yeah. It sounds like that's just good business. You know, uh, it's business is business. And, and when you lay it out and you disclose it all up front, nothing shady. Um, when that time does come, yes, you're going to help them out the best you can, but it's already outlined. They understand it. So it doesn't blindside them. That's good yep. stuff there. Do you, do you, so let's talk about, <clears throat> this, this is a two part question. I want to know, like, do you get paid like to manage this fund? And then the mm -hmm. second part is how do cash payouts go to the investors? Is it quarterly? Is it monthly? Mm -hmm. Is it annually? How, how is everybody getting paid? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that is going to vary from club to club. But if, since you're asking me personally, uh, first, Firstly, to answer the first one, I don't manage anything because then that would require certain levels it's of certifications, right? Um, granted, I am the driving force for a lot of things. I am the one who started this. I'm the one who's most actively involved. Luckily, with the rule of participation, it doesn't say that everyone has to equally participate. They just have to participate. So if I'm the one who brings the four investment options to the table and everyone votes on it, then everyone participated, right? So I do understand that I do the majority of the work and that's fine. Um, I'm, I'm happy to do it because these are all friends and family members. So no, I don't get paid. Um, but the better I do, the better we all do, if that makes sense, financially speaking. So if I do a great job, we all benefit from it. So, um, no, I don't get paid anything, um, to do most of the work, which I'm cool with. Uh, the second part to your question was payouts. So, um, you can structure that anyway. You can do monthly dividends, um, or you can do, Hey, every time we sell a property or whatever, it could be literally anything. Um, and it's all by percentage of ownership. So if we made 10 grand, that's out of hundred percent. Right. And so if I own 10%, I get 10% of 10 grand. It could be that simple. We don't actually do dividends yet because that would be counterproductive. Why are we pouring in monthly contributions, which we have a minimum monthly contribution. Every member has to put in just to pay it back out at the end of the month. Or if we did pay it out, it'd be like a dollar. You know what I'm saying? Because we're not at that level yet. You're Most companies, when you look at their, exactly, when, when you, you know, take a stock, for example, a small cap stock, good luck finding one that pays a dividend. Maybe a mid cap, like Dunkin' Donuts might pay uh, a dividend, but most large caps do. So you'll, Apple pays a dividend, you know what I'm saying? Because they've been around, they have a nice balance sheet. We're a small cap. We're not there yet. And so eventually we want to, but that's, you know, once we have X amount of monthly cash flow, and that has yet to be clearly defined other than self-sustaining is the general, you know, we'll vote on it eventually. So it is something we want to get to. And that's 
probably 10, 20 years down the road, which is a very long time, but you know, you, you got to put it back in or else your growth is going to be hurt. So. Yeah, that's phenomenal. That's great. I'm loving it, man. So this, so the management fee, okay, maybe that's not the right word. Um, but it, it really guess, seems like it really works on ownership. I'm assuming you have a larger ownership percentage than, than most of your other, than most of your other. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that seems like that's the way you would get your, uh, your payout for not managing, but doing most of the work. So it, what's cool about it is you'll see a lot of investment clubs do just stocks, right? And so what they'll do is 20 people or five family members, they'll start because the more capital you have, the better diversified you can make a portfolio. And when you look at stocks, it used to have commissions. So it's like, okay, cool. Instead of buying 10 shares of Apple individually, where each person buys one, we can buy 10 shares as one collective. So instead of spending $50 in commission fees, we're spending $5 in commission fees. And so it made sense. Additionally, you spread research around, hey, you research energy sector, you research real estate, you research this, you research that. Let's come together every month and we'll all vote on one new stock based on who has the best presentation, financials and blah, 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 blah. Right. And so it's easy to look at an investment club in a stock only you know, set up because it's very clear. The roles are very clear. Everyone's participating equally. Whereas when you add real estate, like we are, um, not every member is in North Carolina to help me, you know, put in new flooring. I, half of our members are in Afghanistan, Europe, Italy, Korea, like all across, but they can help me pick which color paint I'm going to put on the wall. You know what I'm saying? And so there's always going to be a disparity as far as participation and who's doing what when you start adding real estate to the mix, because it is a very active approach to things. Um, but then again, you know, you could find a group with lots of money and cause we're putting a lot of sweat equity into stuff. If you find a group with lots of money, then you can hire everyone to do stuff. And then everyone's participating equally because no one's actually participating <laughs> other than putting in money. So it, you can really cut it up different ways. And that's what I love. I love, variety i love options and that's what i love about real estate that's what i love about investment clubs now that we're doing both at the same time it's like man we could do this so many different ways it's really awesome one thing that i really love about what you uh what you've done and how you started off right so you you said well, i'm just kind of backing up just a little bit so you talked heavily about you know your your financial foundation that you received pretty much growing up in modest means as, as a child right and i think a lot of i think a lot of people um have have an idea of of a a pure foundational level finance like hey i know i know i shouldn't have carry much debt i I know i shouldn't you know do this do that pretty much like the dave ramsey effect if you will you know like that that mindset i think most people generally understand that right um but what sets you apart is and what sets the people apart that are that are investors and that are um going to go, I feel they're going to go very far in um, their financial, basically reach financial freedom are the people that self-educate, right? And you, and you said it best, you, you know, you took times and days and months and I don't know, maybe years researching this stuff, right? And uh, Jim, I think it's Jim Rohn has a, a very famous quote. It's one of my favorite quotes ever. And he talks about, um, a formal education, kind of like Dave Ramsey education, foundational, formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune, right? And, and I think that's the piece that a lot of people are missing um, just in life in general. Um, we, we tend to know this baseline information, but we don't want to take the time to actually learn and dedicate ourselves to, to really learn about this, this wealth creation stuff. Um, and and I, 
I really like that you did that. And the second piece is um, the importance of group investing. I love that you you invited your friends and your family, and it's not just about you. It's not just about you making money, but it's about you bringing along everyone, right? And you know, I, I like quotes. So another one is like, you know, you want to go, you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, bring a group, and that's exactly what you're talking about. Because you're saying, hey, we're talking about 10, 20, 30 years away. Um, I mean, that's 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 the long game. That's you know, that's what it's all about. That's true wealth right there. Um, and, and I love that. Would you like to, can you speak to the importance of group investing? Like why, why is that so important? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's definitely not a common practice. I would say most Americans have, you know, an IRA, an individual retirement account. You know what I mean? Like everything's very individualized money. When you start changing hands, there has to be an extreme amount of trust. Companies make billions of dollars because people don't trust each other. PayPal, Venmo, banks, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? Like there has to be that trusted intermediary. And so it's hard to find it. And like I said at the very beginning, you know, luckily I'm in the business of, of being in the military where, you know, trust is, is, it's easy to find, you know, you show up to a new unit and within a week, you're like, yeah, I'd die for this guy. Like, it's just, it's just crazy. The bonds that we build so quickly because of the things we go through. Um, and so that, that's really one of the biggest things that you have to find first before you start searching for a group, I'll say, right. But the importance of having the group um, if anyone was ever alone or at any point in their time, or if anyone was a perfectionist and like, if you were that person, just like myself, where in school you did a group project and you did 90% of the work cause you didn't trust others to do anything. You're not going to go far in life. Like you said, you, if you want to go far, you got to bring the group. If you want to go fast, do it yourself fast and efficient. You can do it by yourself, but you're going to burn out. Right. Whether, you know, it, it's time wise, you're you're not going to be able to do certain things like co- billion dollar companies have thousands of employees for a reason because not one person can do it. And, and so it's just it, if you look at any sort of success story, there's a group involved. And so when I sat down and I thought about how I wanted to approach my life. I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do for a living post military or even if I wanted to get out. I just knew no matter what I wanted to do, if I had a group involved, it would be more feasible. And so now like I'm going to be getting out, I'm going to be getting into real estate personally, but I'll be working in tandem with the investment group. And so like now I'm able to use that as a platform for not only myself, but then as I grow, I can bring them along and I can help them. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, there's so many cool things you can do when you have a group because there's just more options on top of the fact that like, you're always going to have one side of the story. If I bring up an idea in the group, I have 30 brains from their own perspectives, their own experiences, their own everything looking at that. And then we can problem solve better. And military members understand that because that's what we do. You know what I mean? It's not one person making all the decisions. It's, hey, this is what needs to get done. Go figure it out. And then a whole group sits down. Like we have joint tasks for, we have joint everything. Like I can give a million examples of why a group is important and then you can just apply it to investing. There's nothing special or unique about it other than that there's an extreme amount of trust necessary to make it work. Because if you don't have the trust, you can have a hundred members and then someone does one thing sketchy and there wasn't a lot of trust built in and then it just all tumbles down super fast. So yeah. Uh, um, I mean, like I even have tattoos to remind me like, Hey Jordan, like you can't be that individual. Like you need to be, that group player like you have to trust individuals because it's you're stronger that way so it is it, just it's it's pivotal if you want to do the long-term approach and you really want to build something great because like i'll see investors on facebook groups and 
you know, they've invested for 60 years and now they're going to retire a millionaire. Cool, man. I don't want to retire a millionaire. I want to retire a billionaire or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I want to retire my 50 buddies as millionaires, not just me. Like the, the goals become broader when you bring more people into the mix. And, you know, single-handedly, hands down, that is why I am an advocate for veteran entrepreneurs because they understand instantly the value of leveraging out their weaknesses and finding the, the how to confide in their buddies next to them. You know, any entrepreneur understands, like you start off young, you're cutting grass, great. You make $10 a lawn, great. But hey, I got too many grasses to cut. Let me bring my buddy, give him $7, I'm gonna keep three. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you would have never got that three. You got a buddy who's got seven. The other client's satisfied, right? It becomes a camaraderie. Yeah. And entrepreneurs that that's come from the services, they understand that stuff. So mm-hmm. kudos to you, man. 100%. Yeah, all of us, all of us are smarter and stronger than one of us, right? Collectively, we are For sure. uh, all smarter and stronger than one of us. And we can go a lot further. That phenomenal, phenomenal. Yeah, man. So, um, so kind of, uh, kind of wrapping it up a little bit, right? If you had one piece of advice that you could give to uh, new entrepreneurs, maybe someone that's interested in, in getting into the REITs, uh, what advice would you give them? Well, yeah, anyone getting involved in anything. Um, the, my personal approach from what I've seen the most success is, is doing uh, an exuberant amount of research and self-learning like you were talking about earlier. Um, and for multiple forms, it can't just be Google searches. Sometimes it has to be academic like I said, I got a degree in financial planning in the process of all of this. Um, and now that opened up my mind to so many other ways, you know, to do what I'm doing. And so if I were just searching Google, I would find the same article rewritten a thousand times and I would only have one side to what I'm doing. And so spend the time researching, but don't get bogged down by it. You have to start at some point. And so it's like, you'll have ample time to research the other phases of your plan. And you might not even have a defined plan um, as you go along. So like do your goal setting, spend time researching, you know, those phases, phase it out, give yourself a general timeline, start researching, understand, Hey, if I do this, I eventually should be able to do this or I should be able to figure out how to do this. And then as you go, don't stop don't think, Oh, I started it. I'm good. Now it's working or whatever it is I'm doing is, is, you know, it's existing on its own. No, keep working at it. Keep learning, keep expanding, blah, blah, blah. And just keep going at it. Um, that that's what I keep doing. I mean, people tell me like, I got my financial planning degree and everyone's like, Oh, good job. And I'm like, nah, man, like I got 10 more things I need to do. Don't even care. Shred it, throw it away, put it somewhere. I don't give a crap about it. I I got something else to do now. And it's just like every achievement, that I hit, it's not an achievement to me. It's just, it's just the next step in the much, much bigger thing. And so like, don't look at these milestones as, as a break, look at them as that's phenomenal. Now I can do this. Now I need to go do this. So just keep, keep driving onto the next one, but also like, don't burn yourself out. You know, I, I do that too sometimes where I got to take a weekend off and just play call of duty or something and not crack a book or <laughs> stay off Google and stop researching. So it's like find a healthy mix, but definitely keep driving at it, man. Cause a lot of people allow themselves to, you know, excuse, you know, complacency or whatever, like, Oh, I can do this, blah, blah, blah. So just keep the drive, stay hungry. Um, and so if you start with a good plan and you start with identifying your whys, it should keep you, should keep you hungry the whole time. Awesome, man. 
This is beautiful stuff, man. You're hitting on a lot of good stuff. Uh, so where can people, you know what you should do? Do you have a, uh, do you have a course uh, set out for the investment group training yet? Do you have that? Is it in the no, pipeline? No, no. I, uh, well, there's not really, I mean, there's not really a course for the investment club. I mean, cause it's just like whatever types of investment you're doing. We are working on a fundamental stock investment course or one of the members is, excuse me. So he's tackling that or he's somewhere. I don't know. I don't check in on him. I'm not his boss, but <laughs> I can remember right. working on that. So we are working on our education stuff because we're just compiling data. You know, we're not really creating, recreating the wheel here. Right. Um, but yeah, so no, the answer to your question is no, but we are working on it. <laughs> Okay, so for all the listeners out there who want maybe your future courses, or they want to get in touch with you to ask you these questions about the investment group, where can they find you? Uh, well, Facebook and Instagram, which I'm hoping will be linked at some uh, point below. And then if you guys want to shoot me an email at jb, the number one, period, ifvi at gmail, uh, you guys can hit me up, shoot me an email. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not some like guru by any means i'm just someone who took action so don't please don't ask me to help out with your life's problem but if you have something that i might be able to help out with i'd more i'd be more than happy to spend some time with you but uh yeah i'm not sitting here doing courses or anything crazy right now <laughs> nice and we'll be sure to have all that information down in the in the notes as well got anything else dan sure. yeah man hey so um if you want to find out more about uh jordan as well i'm i think you're already in the the facebook group right if not, you got to get get in the Facebook group. So we have a we have a military cash flow Facebook group. It's all about uh, real estate investing. Literally, it's all veterans. Um, all for the most part, I'd say about probably thirty or thirty five to maybe forty percent of them are um, are active investors. Like now, like actually have deals. Um, we do have there. There is a, a group of you know people that are learning and, and working towards their first deals. So if you want to join the group, I strongly recommend it. Just go to Facebook, look up military cash flow, and uh, you'll see the group. Click it, we'll add you in, and then you can start uh, taking action, networking, um, learning from these other individuals. Uh, myself, Mike, and uh, Jordan will be there if you want to ask questions there. Uh, feel free to. Also, if you're listening to this on podcast, leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, share the share the links. And then uh, if you're watching this on YouTube and you like seeing our, our beautiful faces, uh, please go ahead and click that like and subscribe button down below. We really appreciate that as well. I appreciate that as well. And if you got a question, you can comment there as well. Um, with that, that's all we got. Uh, this is Dan Wynn. And Mike Glasby. Yeah, this is Military Cashflow. <laughs> Signing off. Signing off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hey, thanks a lot, Jordan. I really appreciate you coming on, man.